0: This week on Out of the Air, LaPorte County Symphony Orchestra conductor Carolyn Watson returns to update us on her recent career moves and plans for the orchestra. Next, we have well-known litigation attorney-turned-author Larry Evans sharing his novel, Unauthorized Practices. Our spotlight is on Indiana Ballet Theatre's annual production of The Nutcracker, December 7th through the 10th at IU Northwest Main Stage with Gloria Toohey.
1: Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Mary Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself, you art, and show the world your heart. Express yourself, art, and show the world.
0: Welcome, you're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, WVLP 103.1 FM, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City.
2: Aloha, everyone.
0: We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art on the Air is heard every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Media's website as a podcast also heard on Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP 103.1 FM, streaming live at wvlp.org, and Tuesdays at 4 p.m. on WDSO 88.3 FM. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Media. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. We'd like to welcome back to Art in the Air Spotlight. She's been with us many times before, but coming back to tell us more about what's coming up in the, for the Indiana Ballet Theater. They have an upcoming production of Nutcracker mm-hmm. in December. Gloria Tui, who's the founding member and I guess you might say artistic director of that. And also an update on the uh, Classic Arts Center. Gloria, welcome back to Art in the Air Spotlight. Yes.
2: thank you. Hi, welcome. Mm-hmm.
0: So tell us a little bit about Nutcracker and uh, what's coming up with that, what dates and everything. Yes. Will-
3: Yes, yes, yes. Nutcracker. This is our, I think, 26th year for the Nutcracker. And it's uh, at IUN, and December the 7th through the 10th.
0: Now, having done it for 26 years, and I I think everyone's in, how do you approach it to make a different better you know i mean it's not just retrenching him obviously the nutcracker is the nutcracker but you know what's different maybe from year to year or over the years how you've changed
3: well i happen to have a wonderful daughter amanda who is fantastic at changing choreography so she puts a new you know new change on it every year so that's what's different this year we have some. We have about uh, almost a hundred in the cast, and um, that's different from year to So we change accordingly.
2: What about costumes? Do they get updated, or they do?
3: Yes. Something I started in the very beginning. Um, since we've been around for forty-four years, um, I made all the costumes as well. But. Um, we have a great person now who's actually a dancer of ours. And now she's become the costume mistress. So Amber have, has now taken on updating the costumes or making new costumes. Yes.
2: Yeah, she's a lovely dancer as well. Mm-hmm. That's- yeah, she is. Yeah,
0: we had her on the That's show cool. early on, I believe. So,
2: Is Amanda still doing Kaleidoscope? She is. I remember we spoke to her a long time ago about Kaleidoscope. Right, right. she's having a hard time
3: finding uh, locations theater at the moment. But uh, since she's working at the Barthes University, we're hoping to go back there.
0: In the other changes over the 24 years, uh, the type of talent that you have brought on board has changed considerably. I remember the, some of the first ones you had at the Center for Vision, performing and Arts when I was there. So tell us a little bit about some of the changes that there happened there.
3: In, in the casting?
0: No, well, the whole production. I mean, you you are now bringing in dancers, not just your own local things, but you're bringing a lot of dancers. Right. from. Yeah, so yeah. tell us about the development we of that.
3: Have, um, we have three male dancers coming in to partner, and they'll be doing the Snow King and also the Shkupem Cavalier. And then we have two coming in from Chicago that will be... Um, also leads milk cracker itself and um, Rosumaya, the, uh, the uncle of current. So, yeah, and one of our male dancers that's coming in is actually used to be our dancer, and his sister now will be in sugar plum, and Gabe Hartman will be the cafe. So that was just before the shows. The other four
0: shows that's another Guy. <laughs> so, what we're looking also, you are still working on the uh, Classical Arts Center. I know we were at your fundraiser thing not too long ago, but uh, tell us about the development of that. I know you're still looking for matching grants and money, and so how's that process going?
3: Yes. So we're actually at a quite a. It's been it's been a turmoil. Um, between, uh, you know, the productions and the Star Plaza closing down and then, uh, and so on and so forth. Then you've got 2020 after that. And then uh, this, that, and the other. But we have managed to completely renovate the exterior of the building. And that was to the tune of a million dollars. So we managed to keep going. And uh, now we're, um, we're halfway to the goal Of being able to get the construction done. So the goal is 1 million, and we're already halfway there. So we need some help from the community to get the other half. And then we get the funding and we get it completed. And if everybody gets on board, we could be open towards the end of 2024.
0: How do people come in to support that? I mean, it, obviously, they can go to your website, but what are ways that people can help you out in getting to that goal?
3: Well, uh, they can name a window, a door, uh, and, you know, several ways they can do that. So if they if they can not afford those things, they can do it as a group. You can have 10 people in a window, 10 names for $100 a piece. So... Uh, it's all doable. It's not like we're asking for millions from everybody, just, just a few dollars here and there. Uh, but in, as a community, it would be nice to think that community could do this together, you know, not just one person. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Though it would be great to have a really large donor come in and do that also. and, and-
3: Oh, wouldn't it?
0: so as we wrap up here tell us again about when uh, nutcracker is running how people can see it where they can find you online and everything like that
3: okay it's it's at iun uh december the 7th through the 10th and you just go to www.ibtnw.org and go to events for the tickets for Nutcracker. Excellent. If you just go to the website and you can see also all the movies about what the vision is for the building, and you can make a donation right there as well.
0: That's great. Gloria Tui, the Artistic Director and Founder of uh, the Indiana Valley Theater, Nutcracker, December 7th through the 10th. Thank you so much for coming on Art on the Air Spotlight. Yeah,
2: thank, thank, you. thank you, Gloria. Yes. Bye-bye.
0: And a Spotlight Extra, the Memorial Opera House presents the stage adaptation of the Every Berlin Musical, White Christmas, opening November 30th, running through December 7th. Plus, on December 17th, South Shore Orchestra's annual Holiday Pops Concert. Art on the Air Spotlight and the complete one-hour program on Lakeshore Public Media is brought to you by Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker. And as a reminder, if you'd like to have your event on Art on the Air Spotlight or have a longer feature interview, email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at This is Pledge Week for your public radio station, and Art on the Air encourages our loyal listeners to support this station by making a monthly sustaining pledge so we may continue to bring you this great program. Hi there, this is Public Radio theme composer B.J. Liederman, and you're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM and on WVLP 103.1 FM.
2: We are pleased to welcome back Carolyn Watson to Art on the Air. Carolyn is a distinguished conductor and educator, currently the music director for the LaPorte County Symphony Orchestra in Indiana and the director of orchestras at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. She also has an ongoing association with Interlochen as conducting faculty. Her glowing music career has taken her all over the world, garnering numerous prestigious awards, and has established her as a sought-after, innovative music director and principal guest conductor. Aloha and welcome, Carolyn. Thank you for joining us. It's really good to see you.
4: It's great to see you too.
0: So glad to have you back. And if our audience that wanted to hear your previous interview, you were on Art of the Year for your first interview on May 7th, 2021, as you were coming to Laporte. We wanted to introduce you to your new uh, orchestra and people that were listening. So thank you so much for being here. Maybe briefly, so people will know, maybe a a quick version of your origin story before we really, what we brought you back to do is update everything that's happening in your life. So kind of tell us how you got from where you were to where you are now in kind of a nutshell.
4: Wow. Okay. I'll try to be as efficient as I can. So uh, this is a bit of a special year in uh, many ways in that it's my 10th anniversary here in the United States. I moved over from Australia in 2013 and I moved to the Midwest. I moved to Interlochen where I took up the position of conductor and music director of the Interlochen Arts Academy Orchestra. And at that time, I wasn't sure whether I'd like America, how it would go, how long I'd stay. And you can kind of see how that's working out. So
1: um,
4: <laughs> it's my 10th... Tenth- well, It's <laughs> a great landing place. You're right. You know, it, it absolutely is. Um, although I must say, I realized by about February why they interview everyone in June. Um, then, <laughs> that is true. Winterlocken was pretty brutal, I've got to say. So... <laughs> So yes, in those 10 years, I have been very fortunate to have a real um, array, a diversity of experiences working with professional organizations, opera companies, ballet companies, orchestras through the United States, as well as in higher education. Um, I'm currently in my third year as music director of the Laporte County Symphony. I'm not quite sure where the, where the time went, but we had a fabulous year last year for the 50th anniversary season of the orchestra. And as you mentioned, I'm in my... Uh, well i 'm now at the University of Illinois where I am director of orchestras and i 'm in my second year here and also I have uh, since we last chatted, I have been appointed principal guest conductor of the Kansas City Chamber Orchestra, which is my hometown.
0: Wow, so tell us a little bit when you go from orchestra to orchestra i've always wondered this as a conductor you have of course different personnel, different environments like you go from Laporte and do that plus you're teaching orchestras but How is that? How is that transition? You know, you step in there. I mean, obviously, they somewhat rehearse without you, but tell us a little bit about that experience as a conductor.
4: Yeah. I mean, I find it interesting. I find it energizing because no two orchestras are the same. No two groups of people are the same. And, you know, you have to figure out very quickly what works, what doesn't work, how to adapt, what they are used to, what their expectations are, you know. So, Um, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, maybe two dogs meeting for the first time. They sort of, you know, (laughs) there's like a tentative wagging of the tail and some sniffing just to make sure that we're going to be friends and it's going to be okay. But, but there's a degree of, you know, um, Caution or maybe self-protection there on both sides,
2: I think. Um, Well, So as you go from orchestra to orchestra, though, and I'm assuming that and every conductor that I've watched has their own unique style. So the dialogue that you have between the orchestra, are there standard are there standard gestures that get you through so that they understand, you know, like how do they understand your language? Um, Because every I'm sure every conductor is different, but the same as well. (laughs)
4: Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I think um, maybe a good analogy would be, for example, we all speak English, but we speak different kinds of English. So there is a, a baseline of standard orchestral gestures that have evolved since the development of orchestral conducting in the 19th century, and they're fairly standardized around the world. There's a little variation, a few possibilities, but for the most part, People know what they they mean, but you're right. Um, We are individual people with individual personalities. And a lot of conductors are very idiosyncratic and they have their own way of of doing things. So if you can imagine, you know, English spoken by um, someone in Kenya sounds different than English spoken by somebody in South Africa or opposed to Scotland, Australia, New Zealand, um, America. Um, you know, even when we take America, it sounds different in New York than it sounds uh, in Texas, for <laughs> yeah. example. But for the most part, you know, with the exception of a couple of places in Wales, I think we understand each other. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that was part Whoa, of your doctoral yes. dissertation is about gesture as a right. communication. I mean, you, you use that as kind of a basis studying that. And so it it, you, you can do that I and mean, I mean I've seen people uh, having played an instrument uh, in an in band actually some people it is like how the heck can you even follow that you barely can see a downbeat but yeah I, I, you know how I guess you have to define a certain thing like Esther was saying a certain baseline of everything that what's going to happen
2: right like I was thinking you know as much <laughs> rehearsal as goes on between you and the orchestra during performances if there are stumbles do you rehearse what the orchestra needs to do to come back to center? I mean, are there particular or, you know, do you rehearse that as well, <laughs> I
4: guess? <laughs> Giving away all the trade secrets. Um, well, of course, you know, the performances I, I conduct, we never have any issues like no, that. Of course I, I wasn't
2: referring to you, of course.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's a very good point. And um, that's where being able to communicate very effectively with your body, with your gestures, is, uh, of course, very important. Because you're absolutely right, Esther. It's it's not possible to stop and say, okay, this is what's happened. We need to go back and start at letter G, for example. Um, you know, I think uh, everybody recognizes uh, facial expressions, and um, you know, uh, a generally panicked look from the conductor typically gets <laughs> gets uh, gets attention, or just just you know our sort of standard nonverbal gestures um, like you know emphatically not you know shaking at the head for yes you know to to give encouragement or you know putting up the hand of love and for the listeners i mean i've just put up my hand like in a stop sign like as in please don't play now please don't even think about playing now no just put your instrument down not now not yet not ready and there we go you know <laughs> um so trying to you know communicate with people that way but um yeah depending on the group that you're it's a beautiful language.
2: It really is. It's a very beautiful language and I'm captivated by it when I'm at a performance. You know, sometimes I can't, you know, I'm lost in the music, but it's the, it's watching the orchestra interact with the conductor. Since I was a little girl, I've always been fascinated by it. It's just so interesting.
0: And I see you with a hand gesture, like this kind of, that's for the brass section usually, because it's like, okay, guys, tone it down and everything. Back, go in the yeah. next room and play. We'll be fine.
4: <laughs> exactly. Something along those lines. I, but,
0: yeah. <laughs> I, I know about conducting. One thing that I, I saw is during uh, when we had the um, Stars and Stripes Forever, when we had one of the mayors go up there and do that. And I was watching that and going, okay, you can tell he doesn't know anything about beating time. It was just like... Up, down, up. I almost wanted to say, okay, no, no, and you got to point to the fl- flutes and uh, the piccolos when they stand. You know, it was like anyway, it was kind of funny. So it was a good example of how not to conduct.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, what can I say? Uh, no, no comment. He's a great supporter. He's a great
0: supporter. There's no He's doubt about supporter. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just what, he was just okay. not a not a conductor. That's for sure. So you've come to La Porte, and you've uh, what? What things has evolved there since you've been there? I mean, you know, coming in, you've been there a couple of years. Have you established anything different, new? I mean, you come to a good existing orchestra, but uh, is there anything goals that you have for it that are either in transition or met so far or going on?
4: Yes, I think to all of the above. You know, it's it's a a longer-term project, and it takes a little while always when you are new in a position and new in an organization, you know, to figure out how things work, what's there. Um, And then to think about what you might like to do differently, to change, to modify, you know, to improve, uh, for example. One thing that has changed since I've come on board, there has been the addition of um, a February subscription concert. So when I was hired as music director, there were three subscription concerts um, and there's now four. And so this is the second year that we'll be doing that February concert. Last year, we did a side by side with uh, the Laporte High School band and orchestra. And this year we're doing a side-by-side with local area music educators. So that I feel those um, those both of those projects are in and of themselves very, very exciting. I, I am myself a music educator and I think it's a fantastic thing that we have in Laporte Porte and, and surrounds and to have the opportunity to share that with last year's students. And this year, you know, um, our professional adult uh, colleagues that might play their instrument um, or might have studied earlier in their lives but you know then life gets busy and takes over but they've still got it in the in the cupboard and would just love to play with an orchestra well <laughs> we're offering them that opportunity so that is uh, in and of itself very very exciting also the last couple of summers I've been in town uh, we've done performances uh, at friendship gardens so that has been, Absolutely lovely. And also a July 4 performance at, at Fox Park. So I think that's something that we are looking to hopefully continue. So uh, that's great. We had a successful 50th anniversary season last year that saw some very, very exciting things, um, among them exceeding the stated fundraising goal of $1.5 million for the um, endowment campaign. And so that that was Yay. just phenomenal, that level mm-hmm. of community support for our orchestra so listeners that are listening audience members who come to our concerts thank you from the bottom of my heart very much for your your support it's truly truly valued so have you
2: are you going on have you i know the contract i think was for three years with laporte are you have you signed for the next bit of time (laughs) yet no not yet oh laporte get busy (laughs) (laughs) we are we are we are chatting let's put it that way so, when you take guest conducting, do you have time during that? And I'm sure it's different at each in each place you are. But do you have time to really become part of the community when you're there? Like, go and you know, go and really explore where you're visiting.
4: Not in the same way that you do when you have an ongoing association, like I do with Laporte, for for example. Um, I mean, guest conducting it it, it depends a little. Often those engagements, though, they are um, quite short, typically less mm-hmm. than a week. So I might go somewhere, for example, um, on, on Thursday, rehearse Friday and Saturday, perform Saturday night or or Sunday afternoon. So that's a it's an intense kind of few days. Um, and it doesn't always lend itself to, as you asked, you know, being being part of the the community, the exception to that. However, I guess is when you get uh, re-invitations and, for example, you go back year after year and you get to know the people, the places, the organizations. So that's, I have a number of places where I have that sort of affiliation and that, that I very much enjoy.
2: Well, I thought, you know, with how much you love traveling, you might pick places that you would get to then really explore. That was sort of my fantasy about (laughs) some of the guest conducting.
0: Well, speaking of guest conducting, when you have guest conductors come, let's say to LaPorte, first of all, how do you select them? And uh, is that sometimes difficult for you to also take the hands off the wheel a little bit? So, you know, okay, I'm the conductor, but, you know, how does that process work? It's like, okay, I'm going to let you do that. I mean, I know, I think the holiday concert, you're letting Chuck, your associate conductor, do that. But tell me a little bit about that process.
4: Well, full disclosure, I think most conductors will acknowledge that they are control freaks. So it is <laughs> it is sometimes hard to take a step back, but I think, you know, um, for the good of any organization, it's great to have different perspectives. And, you know, for an orchestra, um, they get a lot of me, but it's fantastic when they have an opportunity to work with uh, another conductor. And I think that about my school ensembles here at the University of Illinois. Um, that it's, it's uh, fantastic for them that they have the chance to work with other professional colleagues because I think everybody brings something different. Everybody is shaped by their own experiences and that, that forms us into the unique musicians, conductors, human beings that we are and we all have the potential to offer something different and equally relevant but equally different as well to the groups that we, that we work with. In terms of how that brings we, a
2: musical flexibility. I mean, it's yeah. really nice to.
4: Yes, yes, I I totally agree. And uh, to to answer your question, uh Larry, about how how we uh, how that generally comes about. I mean, it's a fairly small world and insular world, the musical world. So it's very, very often uh word of mouth. You know what I mean and. Um, If you've got somebody that you know is a fantastic professional colleague that's going to be a great fit with your organization, then that's a very logical starting place.
0: And you've broken into what has been for quite a few years mostly a male-dominated field. Was there any difficulty, you being a woman, getting into the conducting world with primarily a male-dominated field?
4: Um, I mean, it is still very much a male-dominated field. In fact, over 90% of conductors are... Are male, and uh, I think uh, music directors. It's it's closer to ninety five percent. So it yes, you're you're absolutely right. It is. In terms of challenges, I think it is a very challenging field, regardless of gender. And as for the challenges that I've had, um, I don't. I mean, I've certainly had challenges as a young conductor, but I think any conductor has those. As to whether I've had any additional ones as as a woman, i I guess I can think of some experiences that um, uh, you know stand out, but I'd rather not dwell on those. I think um, it's a challenging profession for um, for anybody to to navigate, and um, I feel very fortunate to have had the opportunities that i've I've um, I've had, and I just try to make the most of them
0: very good well the other thing i i want to know too is uh when you're um going to when you're teaching and you're looking at do you spot people that are might be potential um conductors and what's that process to go from being you know because everyone comes as, as, to it as a musician of some sort but that making that transition to not actually playing the instrument but making the orchestra your instrument is a whole different process
4: you're right it is um I guess it's a little bit different in terms of my role as a teacher. I mean, I do uh yes, I do work with young conductors. However, the young conductors that I work with, they've already passed that that stage, you know, the one that you asked about. They have for themselves already decided that they want to pursue a graduate degree in orchestral conducting. Um therefore they they apply for either some either a master's or a doctoral degree here. Um, but that you, you do mention a very interesting point and um, uh, about, you know, orchestral musicians and perhaps people that have the talent but might not have considered orchestral conducting. And I know that there are a number of programs like that um, that are working at targeting um, young women and girls, in fact, to try to encourage them from a high school level to consider conducting. So, Carolyn, do you yourself, do you compose music?
2: I do not. And so what? So you know, I read that you love to travel. So um, is there? Is it like hiking, biking? Is it just sightseeing? Is it? And where? You know, where's your next place that you're going to explore?
4: Yeah, it's it's a very long list that I've got. Um, I mean, I, I had a fantastic summer, and I did check off one of my bucket list destinations, which was East Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was there for four weeks in Kenya, Uganda. Um, We did a day trip to Rwanda and Tanzania. So that was very, very special. Um, As for next destinations, I mean, I do want to go to Patagonia. Um, I do love the outdoors and hiking. I do want to go to Antarctica. I do want to go to Alaska. There's a lot of America that I've not seen. Um, the national parks, for example, um i've I've kind of grown up as a musician in Europe and lived there and spent quite a lot of time. I always love visiting and going back, and of course, uh, my homeland of Australia. but um yeah, there is a lot of america that's that's uh, definitely waiting for me to go see it.
2: It's beautiful.
0: Yes, it is. In our last few moments here, we uh, want to talk about, uh, you've talked about your travels, but uh, is there, what's your next orchestral goal? I mean, we don't want to see you move on from La Porte County Symphony, but is there an orchestra that you would like to be conducting sometime? Uh, You know, Cleveland Orchestra, Chicago, yeah.
4: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I guess I've never thought of it that way. I don't think I have goals with respect to which orchestras i'd like to conduct certainly there's some repertoire though that i um i feel like i'd like to program and i'd like to uh conduct i've got like a bucket list of pieces that i definitely (laughs) want to do before i retire or quit whichever comes first you know or decide to go travel full-time i think that that last one's probably the most likely to be honest
0: Well, and then also the genres that you do, like, obviously, you know, orchestral type things, but also like doing opera or ballet, and tell your conducting approach, how they differ for those types of uh, different genres.
4: Well, they're very different kinds of animals, as it were, for um, opera and ballet, the number of rehearsals and the production season tends to be significantly longer, so you get more of an opportunity to develop a, a rapport with the singers in opera, the dancers in ballet Um, and you know for an opera production um, typically you're looking at rehearsal schedules of uh, two three four five weeks depending whereas for a symphonic um, engagement it'd be more like in in the days as we were discussing earlier so it's very yeah it's it's a very different kind of role you have to work work very differently and how so Sorry, yeah, it's a much more collaborative process I think um when you have that um time to get to know people it's much more of a to and to and fro a back and forth um certainly with singers whereas when you've got a very short amount of time to put a, a concert together um you you've got a very short amount of time to put a concert together you know <laughs> so this might not be
2: not knowing what's going to happen with the Port County Symphony Orchestra so when you when you are at a you know a more Long-term sort of um, gig. <laughs> do you? How long do you book out? I mean, like, do you like do you do the three years worth of a season? Into that
4: far ahead, I so, plan. Do you mean?
2: Yeah. Or? How far? Uh, yeah. How far? Because I looked at your schedule, and um, you know, I you know, you're booked to probably May as far you know with different concerts and so I was wondering when you're doing your own personal schedule like for the LaPorte County Symphony Orchestra how far out do you have to book everything?
4: Yeah I mean usually this season and I'm going to say COVID has definitely changed things things tended to be planned a little further in advance but um, that things have definitely shifted with professional organizations after COVID um, you know I'm now getting inquiries for uh, next season and seeing what that, what that looks like. Um, I expect there'll be more of those though in the spring than in the fall. And with respect to programming, that's uh, yeah, I also try to program um, sort of six to twelve months in advance as well.
2: Oh yeah, because I thought you probably inherited quite a bit when you came on. Thank you for answering
0: that. Do you miss playing what was your primary instrument? I can't remember was violin. Violin. And most it seems like most conductors come from violins. Uh, very few percussionists seem to want to get up there. But anyway, we want to wrap up here in a minute here. We want to tell about any rock things things you have coming up for yourself, how people can find you online, and uh, everything like that.
4: Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm very easy to find online. You can just, uh, I guess, Google me, Carolyn Watson Conductor, and find my website there, dot watsoncom Um, yeah, you can find me at the University of Illinois. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram as Carolyn (laughs) Conducts. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm to be found everywhere.
0: Well, you we appreciate coming back on Art in the Air. That's Carolyn Watson, conductor of the LaPorte County Symphony, uh, guest conductor for Kansas City Chamber Orchestra and also director of orchestras at University of Illinois. And you can hear her previous interview, where you might find some more details about her past, on our website and <laughs> Lakeshore site at Art on the Air interview. It's uh, May 7th. Carolyn, thank you so much for coming back on Art in the Air and sharing your journey.
4: Yeah,
2: thank you. Thank a you joy. for
4: having me. Yeah.
0: Art in the Air listeners, do you have a suggestion for a possible guest on our show? whether it's an artist, musician, author, gallery, theater, concert, or some other artistic endeavor that you are aware of, or a topic of interest to our listeners. Email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, dot com.
5: Hi, this is singer-songwriter Kenny White, and you're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM and on WVLP 103.1 FM.
2: We would like to welcome Larry Evans to Art on the Air. Larry is a well-known litigation attorney in Northwest Indiana and has practiced law for over 40 years. He has partnered with Hepner Wagner and Evans in Valparaiso, Indiana. Larry is visiting with us to discuss his first novel, a legal drama titled Unauthorized Practices. Thank you for joining us on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome, Larry. Hi. Thank you for having me.
0: I have to say that Larry and I go kind of way back, I guess. Uh, I've been involved with something we both had a mutual love for, is, well, then the WYIN and Lakeshore uh, Public Media now, and a longtime board member. Now he's an emeritus board member. And all the way back then, uh, one of the things I'll let you talk about somewhere along the way is that you had the Larry Evans Show early in the uh, broadcast history there. But uh, what we want to kick off first, Larry, is let people in our audience know your uh, personal journey and history. I always like to say how you got from where you were, so where are now? So tell us all about Larry Evans.
5: Well, I went to, I grew up in Gary, um, went to Lew Wallace High School. And from a very young age, I think 14 or 15, I wanted to become an attorney. And um, the only law school around here that was close was Valparaiso. So I wound up going to Valparaiso University for undergraduate work and then for law school. Um, and I never left. I'm still still in Valparaiso after all these years. <laughs> but it's just uh, always something I love to do. Uh, I love it's interesting when I was trying to make my decision when I was growing up, my mother was saying, Well, if you're unsure, because I was thinking maybe I'll become a preacher instead of a lawyer. <laughs> and so she said, Well, go go talk to the preacher and see what he thinks. So I did, and the preacher said, you'll help more people being a lawyer than you will being a preacher. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I took that advice, uh, came here to uh, undergraduate and to law school, and I've been in practice ever since.
0: Tell us a little bit earlier, when you first started off doing, tell us a little about your legal history. You started working and, and how that developed to Hoopner, Wagner, and Evans. I mean, there's a, there's a journey there.
5: Yeah. Well, I started out, I was a deputy prosecutor for Porter County. And uh, that meant I got a lot of experience going to small claims court cases. In those days, we had uh, justice of the peace courts, which we don't have anymore. They were declared unconstitutional. Uh, I would handle, you know, the small drunken driving cases, uh, overweight violations by trucks, that kind of thing. And then uh, after about six months, I was invited to join the firm, which was then known as Chester, Chester Clifford Hepner and Haran, um, and then within a few years, I became a partner in that firm. And then over the years, the firm name changed until 1976. It became Hepner and Wagner and Evans, which it is still today. So well,
2: I want to. I, I would like to go back into like um, schooling, childhood schooling. So yeah. were you? Are you, um, is your family, does your family have other lawyers and were you in school part of the debate team or, you know, did you have any early leanings?
5: Well, I liked watching Perry Mason on television for sure. (laughs) And I always thought, boy, that would be great to be able to do that. Um, No other attorneys in the family. My parents didn't go to college. Uh, I was the first one in the family to go to college. But my mother was was my best supporter and always with me all the way through the journey. Um, in our school, we took um, aptitude tests. And every time there was an aptitude test, law was one that came up, that something I would be good at. Um, I wasn't really active in like debate in teams or any of that in high school. I, that was more when I got to college and law school. But it was just an interest that I had, and it seemed to fit me. I always think it's like when you wear a suit that just fits you, right, it feels good. So being a lawyer does fit me with my skills um, now, I couldn't have been anything else, I don't think, and make a, make a living at it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure you probably can, but I mean, you, you just probably not explored that possibility. Before we get on right. to the book, and one of the things, because I'm going to bring this up because it's in the book, is tell us a little bit about the different types of lawyers, especially on the third and fourth floor in your book about the different things in the, the fictional uh, Smith Duckworth, and Jones. The third floor were the litigators, and the fourth floor were the uh, trust and estate lawyers. But tell us about some of the different lawyers law that's practiced because it's no longer like one-stop shopping with lawyers anymore.
5: No, I don't think so. Um, Well, there used to be like, we used to say office lawyers and then uh, trial lawyers, just those two categories, but now it's all changed. So within our firm, we have people that, that do estate planning. They write wills, they probate estates, things like that. Um, We have other people that do more legal writing uh, people do em- employment law um, we don't do any criminal defense work. We don't do any uh copyright trademark work, but anything else along the lines of civil civil litigation um, if we get cases that aren't within our area of expertise, we'll refer them out to other attorneys. Uh, but on the trust side, if people write wills, they form trusts, they probate estates. Um, and a lot of times, believe it or not, those kind of situations can create conflicts within families. Sometimes families get along great until there's a death and then there's a fight. So a lot of times there's litigation resulting from the trust in estate work. So it all kind of uh, blends in together at that point. But what I was in the book, I was trying to make the point that if you do trust in estates or estate planning, you have more of a. A regular schedule. You can set your dates. You can decide when you're going to do things. When you're going to be gone. In litigation, you're really subject to the courts. Uh, if you have an order that says you got to appear in court, you got to appear in court. You can't decide. <laughs> I don't want to appear in court. <laughs>
2: or so, a, I'll come at ten thirty instead of ten.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just can't do that. Um, so you're, you're really subject to the courts and to scheduling things like depositions and all that are scheduled by. Uh, people and you have to. You have your, your schedule is more unpredictable. You know, it's not a nine to five life. And I work in the evenings a lot. I work on weekends depending on what's coming up. So it, it's really it's a different personality. I think where I think lit, litigators I think enjoy the combat. They enjoy the fight. Where estate planners I'm not saying they don't enjoy the fight, but it's more of a steady a steady thing. You write the will. The family comes in to sign the will. You you handle the estate. It's more predictable. And I don't like that. I never liked that kind of work. I like the action. <laughs> mm-hmm. the That's and, what I like.
0: And here I know mild-mannered uh, Larry Evans, who always laughed at my little jokes across the board table. So. <laughs> um it's because so- I
5: had good taste. Had good taste. <laughs> when
2: writing um, the novel... And you have, there's a multitude of names like in all novels. Are any of, have any friends worked their way into this novel Mm name-wise? Yes. Oh, that's good.
5: (laughs) Yeah. A lot of them are based on people I've seen and known over the years for sure. Yep. Um, I don't know if you had a, a chance to read the postscript or not, but the postscript was based on a lawyer I knew very well who passed away. Sydney Powell, send in the postscript.
0: <laughs> an interesting name now, and there's another Sydney Powell. Is in yeah, that. I'm going to change that. I'm going to change that. <laughs> yeah, I know one thing I did, and uh, our audience won't see this, but I'll show it to you. I actually made a, a diagram of all the uh, characters so I could keep track of them, because it was it's such yeah. a, an involved thing. Well, why don't we move on to the novel right now? Well, first of all, the motivation to write a novel. You know, I it was... Reading the novel, it's like, wow, this is a different Larry Evans than I know. Uh, some of the things about the involvement and the intrigue and everything. So, what brought about the motivation to actually put this down and create it?
5: Well, it was it was based on an actual case um, of an accident on Highway Two um, that I was involved in, where what happened was the accident scene wound up in one lane, but the driver was really. The, the driver at fault was from the other lane. So it was a really interesting case. And it's the same curve that I had talked about in the novel. Now, I've done a lot of other writing, but writing a novel is probably the hardest thing to do, for me at least. It's like you say, Larry, you have to keep track of your characters. You have to be sure. The hardest thing is getting it finished. I have a lot of unfinished <laughs> novels at home. <laughs> and I've done a lot of uh, legal writing. But when I was in college, if you don't mind my digressing. Oh,
0: by all, all means. That,
5: I had a class, I had a history class, and the professor taught uh, the history of the French Revolution. And after the class was over, and I was 19 or 20, she said to me, you know, you're really a good writer, so I want to encourage you to always remember to write. It was the professor who told me that. And I've always written ever since then, whether it's legal writing or just uh, bar bar journal entries. Or if you came to my house, you'd find so many uncompleted <laughs> manuscripts. <major> <laughs> this one I got done and got published. So that's great.
2: So what schedule did you keep to do that? Did you have a clear beginning, middle and end when you started? Or how did it develop? It kind
5: of, in, in a way, it kind of wrote itself. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because you, you you start to write and you say, what's going to happen next? And all of a sudden it kind of comes. Oh, this is next. This is the next logical thing. And of course, I've been in so many trials over the years that I know how trials operate. I know how judges are. I know the pressures of being in a trial. I know all of that. So that really helped a lot too. Uh, it was just a lot of fun to do it.
0: Speaking of judges for a minute, I'm surprised you never went for a judgeship.
5: Yeah. Um, it's funny you mention that because I was given the chance once, and I said no. I just don't think I could sentence people to prison. I don't think I could do that. Which you have to do if you're going to be a judge, right? So I don't. I don't think I would have liked it. My <laughs> mother would have been proud.
2: <laughs> you're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, eighty-nine point one FM on WVLp one hundred three point one FM. Well, before we get into a reading um, of the book, I have sort of a frivolous question to ask. Um, What painting hangs in Heppner, Wagner, and Evans?
5: (laughs) (laughs) It's not the one that's in the book. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think it was. I was just
2: curious. Are there portraits or
5: landscapes? (laughs) We we have a a lot of beautiful paintings. I have one in my office, which is Harriet Rex Smith, that Larry probably remembers her. Right, And then we have a lot of new paintings we've just put in the lobby. But that's totally made up. <laughs> the, lake, the Lake Champlain, the Lake Michigan, yeah.
0: Well, and one thing we all miss in Northwest Indiana, the Twin Towers, where your name was prominent on the uh, one tower there yep. until that was gone. And you still have offices at the, uh, well, the, I can't think they call it the uh, One Broadway, with the old Chase building, correct?
5: Yeah, right, right, right.
0: But most 91, of the time...
5: I think it's 91, whatever it is, yeah. We have an office there on the seventh floor.
0: And you're mostly now in the Valparaiso office, I think, right? Yeah. yeah.
5: Right, right, right.
0: Well, right. let's... Well, uh, Unauthorized Practices, we got a little bit of background, but maybe we'll take a, a section and read it for us, and maybe we'll do a second one later, but that'll give us kind of tee up a, a little bit about what's it about, even though you've told us a little bit. So here it is, Unauthorized Practices, Larry Evans.
5: Okay. Um, silence. The natural silence of a country summer night. The sounds of the crickets grew bolder as the night wore on. The sky was clear and bright. Though the moon was hidden, the stars were vivid. Standing at the middle of the wide, long curve in the road, one could see the lights of three farmhouses two on the east and one closer on the west. They were separated by hundreds of acres of farmland choking with sweet corn and soybeans. The rain earlier in the evening left a summer freshness in the air. On Friday, June 1st at 9.30 p.m., as he had for one week out of each month for the past 17 years, John Graves kissed Ella, his wife, left their home in Hebron and drove his Navy Blue Ford pickup north on State Road 2 toward the curve. He was scheduled to work the 11-7 shift at at National Steel 40 miles north. He allowed just over an hour to drive to work change clothes, and walked to his welding station. The curve had been designed by the Indiana Department of Highways as a result of a political compromise. To avoid condemnation proceedings against Vern Nelson, a Republican County Commissioner, the road had been designed not to curve widely and gently toward Hebron, but rather to jerk sharply from due south to southeast, avoiding Nelson's land but creating a driver's nightmare. Uh, John knew the infamous curve like he knew his name. Though he had driven it thousands of times without incident, he was no less cautious. He had known many of the people whose lives had been taken by this deadly stretch of road. The lunch which Ella Ella had packed for him to eat at 3 o'clock a.m. sat in his black lunch pail on the front seat. The shiny blue paint on the hood of the truck shone in the light as he hummed along with Willie Nelson. The curve was less than 10 minutes from his home. These last few minutes of his life were mellow. He had done well, his three children were healthy, he loved his wife, and the mortgage on his home will be fully paid in three years. The silence was interrupted first by the terrible sound of squealing brakes, then the sharp crack as two chrome bumpers met, then the compression of metal and finally the burning smell of rubber on the road. In five seconds it was over and the silence returned. Archie Vision ran to his house on the west side of the road to call the police, and their sirens were heard within minutes. The crumpled pickup came to rest in a shallow ditch on the west side of State Road 2. John Graves leaned lifelessly out of the driver's side door, only a seatbelt holding him to the truck. The car came to rest on the east side of the road. A woman walked from the car. She was not injured, the lack of a seatbelt permitting her to be thrown free of the crash, in a soft grassy landing to the bottom of a small viaduct which is overgrown with long summer weeds. She walked slowly to the road. The state and county police, the ambulance and the neighbors took over the curve for almost two hours speculating as to what had caused the wreck. Sheriff Lester Truitt was not certain what had happened. One death and one miraculous escape were the leading stories of the crash. When, this, when the highway had been cleared and the last piece of glass had been swept away, the silence was restored. The curve returned to the silence, and the accident of five seconds was given into the eager hands of the American legal and insurance professions, where it would remain for years, changing lives, fortunes, and loves. Wow.
0: That's it's it. from Unauthorized Practices, Larry Evans, and that's just the opening tee up to the whole… Uh, book and how it evolves of the characters and it's is very intricate at how the characters are I, I hate to give away too much in it because they're so interestingly crafted and kind of the different things between the third and fourth floor and like I said I made a character diagram when I was reading it so I That's, kept yeah <laughs>
2: well you know with that intro I didn't get the sense that the case was for years it seemed to be quite expedient almost or cases. That's a, good,
5: that's a good observation, right? Well, what I was trying to—I think what I was referring to was from the time that Chuck's life fell apart until
2: uh, <laughs> until he's
0: right.
5: going through the the disciplinary commission hearings, and then finally
2: oh, rebuilding I his
5: life was what I was getting at. But you're right; the actual trial process was pretty fast. Yeah, that's a good observation.
1: Yeah,
2: the book made me very sad in a way. Um, the way um, some of the behind the scenes stuff within the courts, you know, it's kind of like this reveal almost as if you know when you when you read about, um, I don't know, different industries and and that behind the scenes thing. I so I have to say the novel made me just, uh, you know yeah. a, a little sad. Um, just it's... just kind of, um, you know, we all know the Perry. The parrying that goes on between attorneys and judges and all the backs and forts and things that are given up and things that are given. It was just, um, you know, to see it so boldly in print um, was just <laughs> slightly unnerving, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. Which I guess from a lawyer's point of view is what you kind of would get is give a sense of that uh helplessness like the early one when showing up late to the court that first time and it's like you, know, you really can't do anything when the judge decides to do something to you and everything
5: Oh, no, i've I've never had it done to me but i've seen judges do that they, they'll find a lawyer if he's late even for a few minutes <laughs> so
0: wow that's something well the book pretty well concluded and wrapped up there probably would not be a follow-up or a version two and uh because most of the loose ends are tied up, but uh, tell us I don't about know some Chuck
2: of... Part Two. <laughs> yeah, it could happen
0: though. So, do you have any development to take Chuck on to something else, or yes, I, I or do. Charles,
2: I do. Charles I do. by the end of the book. <laughs> yes, that's I true. I do
0: have an.
5: I'm, I'm in another book. I've, it's called The Case of Divorce, in which Charles Chuck is with in his own practice is now going to represent a woman who's allegedly have killed his, her husband. That's stay tuned. That's not done yet.
0: (laughs) Well, that's great. (laughs) So, well, and any other uh, projects outside of this one? Are you going to concentrate on book two, and then work on something else that you have the the several manuscripts started?
5: Well, I have one that I really like that I think could work. It's called uh, Ten Adventures of a Small Town Small Town Lawyer." Oh, I like that. Yeah, because I've I've had cases literally all over the world. I've been in Australia. I've been in Greece. I've been in London. On different cases, even though I'm practicing in a small town, so that's my oh. next real important project. Not important. The one I really want to get done is ten guidance, ten guidelines of a small town lawyer. Oh, I, I really like say that. Ten, ten adventures. I mean, yeah, small town lawyer.
1: Yeah,
2: I know. when I hear that people have like all these manuscripts sort of under their bed. I I often wonder if they you know can be anthologies of short stories almost. But yeah, I well, I like the. I like that. Yeah, I
5: think that's going to be, I think you're going to like that.
0: Well, we only have a couple of minutes left, but I was going to go back to some lawyering uh, advice that you could give to maybe someone interested in getting the legal profession. What is your, and of course, you're probably a little bit of disappointment about the Valpo University Law School.
5: Yeah, that was too. That was really too bad. Well, I mean, I always like to tell people, if you like ambiguity, the law is for you. <laughs> <laughs> If you like things clear and certain, black and white, that may not be for you. Because so much of law is uncertain. Uh, statutes can be confusing. And if you're a person that likes certainty, you might want to consider a different profession than law.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and yet you the perception is that there is a lot of certainty because law is uh, this. But I, I understand what you're saying. So, well, we only have about a minute left here. I'm going to give you a chance to... Tell our audience where they can find your book and you know, where it's available. I, I figure you could pick it up at the office at Hoopner, Wagner and Evans, if nothing else, but
5: <laughs> Oh yeah, you can you can get it here. Well it's on Amazon. Okay. Uh, Amazon, both Amazon and Amazon Kindle, I believe. Um there's a new bookstore in Valparaiso called the Press. It's a coffee shop bookstore, and they have it there in the local author section. Um and uh, I think that's it. Amazon or, or the or the local author section at the press.
2: Doing any book signings anywhere?
5: Actually, I have, but mainly mainly for you know friends and we. My, my wife is in a book club, so they all get together. They had to all buy my book, and, <laughs> and uh, I got to sign all of it for them. So I've had a few, yeah.
0: That might be interesting in the Wife's Book Club is to say, well, who's this person and who's that person and try to figure it out because it is a Valparaiso-based book.
5: I know, that's right. Well, one of my friends is the one who said, well, whatever happened to Vern Nelson, whose name starts the book? Right. And I said, well, that's a good point. So I wrote the postscript to cover what became of (laughs) him. It's really fun.
0: Excellent. Well, Larry, I appreciate you coming on Art in the Air, sharing about your book and also your arts journey. That's Larry Evans. Uh, the book is Unauthorized Practices. Uh, you can find it at the places that he described. And if you need an attorney, you know you might get in touch with them, Hookner, Wagner and Evans in and Valpo or Maryville, and uh, you can get some legal advice there. Larry, thank you so much. And it's so great to have you on the show. You know we've known each other for quite some time now, and uh, appreciate you coming on our little show here.
5: Thank you, Larry, and thank you, Esther. Yeah, Very thank you.
2: Congratulations it. on this first book.
5: Thank you.
0: We'd like to thank our guests this week on Art on the Air, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. Art on the Air is heard Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Media's website as a podcast. Art on the Air is also heard Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP, 103.1 FM, streaming live at wvlp.org. Our spotlight interviews are heard every Wednesday on Lakeshore Public Media. Thanks to Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operation for Lakeshore Public Media, and Greg Kovach, WVLP's Station Manager. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. We'd like to thank our current underwriters for Lakeshore Public Media, Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker and for WVLP, Walt Reitinger of Paragon Investments. So we may continue to bring you Art on the Air. We rely on you, our listeners and underwriters, for ongoing financial support. If you're looking to support Art on the Air, we have information on our website at breck.com AOTA, where you can find out how to become a supporter or underwriter of our program in whatever amount you are able. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. You'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air.
1: Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know. And show the world your heart, express yourself you heart, and show the world your